before I begin what I've officially prepared for this morning, I just wanted to have a few personal remarks. Um, it, it really is uh, a special and holy moment for me to be able to be here in this room um, with, uh, with you. Some of you I've known uh, for several years. Um, uh, many of you I've just met for the first time this morning. Uh, but uh, the relationship that my family has with uh, Stephanie and David and Reagan is, uh, is truly very special to me. As, uh, as she shared, um, she led my brother-in-law uh, to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ out of a very dark place in his life. And uh, he and his wife uh, now have two precious young daughters in Pennsylvania, and their entire family is walking faithfully with Jesus Christ. Um, she's also been a, a dear spiritual mentor to my wife and to myself and to my mother-in-law as well. And uh, this room is a holy place. Um, I've had uh, the opportunity uh, to um, uh, participate in some very powerful spirit-filled moments here in this room. And so it's exciting for me to be able to come and share the word that God has put on my heart with you this morning. And I thank you uh, for being here. Before I begin what I've officially prepared for this morning, I just wanted to have a few personal remarks. Um, it, it really is a, a special and holy moment for me to be able to be here in this room um, with, uh, with you. Some of you I've known uh, for several years. Um, uh, many of you I've just met for the first time this morning. Uh, but uh, the relationship that my family has with uh, Stephanie and David and Reagan is, uh, is truly very special to me. As, uh, as she shared, um, she led my brother-in-law uh, to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ out of a very dark place in his life. And uh, he and his wife uh, now have two precious young daughters in Pennsylvania, and their entire family is walking faithfully with Jesus Christ. Um, she's also been a, a dear spiritual mentor to my wife and to myself and to my mother-in-law as well. And uh, this room is a holy place. Um, I've had uh, the opportunity uh, to um, uh, participate in some very powerful spirit-filled moments here in this room. And so it's exciting for me to be able to come and share the word that God has put on my heart with you this morning. And I thank you uh, for being here and for receiving it. It's not the shortest message I've ever preached, but I can tell you that I feel it's the most important message that God's ever given me. It's on uh, spiritual authority. And so uh, to begin, I want to tell you about a famous poem that was written a hundred years ago. There was a poet by the name of Robert Frost who wrote a very famous poem called The Road Not Taken. And in it, Frost writes about walking on a path in the woods only to come to a fork where the path splits and then having to choose which path to take. And this is how he concludes the poem. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. Thirteen years ago, I found myself at a fork in the road of my own life. There were two paths in front of me. Which one should I take? 
The path on the left was wide and it continued in the same direction that I had been walking for the first 35 years of my life. And the path on the right was narrow and it, it led in an entirely new direction that I'd never been on before. And there was a sign on that narrow path that said the way of the king. And so for the first time of my in my life, I could see something down that first path, my old path that wasn't quite right. A new light had been shining in my life and it was shining down that old path and revealing shadows and exposing things in a fresh way. And I could see that that old path was littered with garbage. And I knew that the devil, the enemy of my soul, had put it there for me. For my whole life, the devil had offered me garbage, shined up and polished with his lies. And for as long as I could remember, I had picked up and had eaten his garbage. Much of my mental and spiritual diet was the devil's garbage. He offered me pornography and he covered it in the lie that it wasn't a big deal. And I ate that garbage. He offered me plenty of alcohol and he covered it in the lie that it was harmless. That even though alcoholism has destroyed tens of millions of lives and marriages for countless generations, including in my own family, that somehow it wouldn't hurt me, it wouldn't hurt my marriage, and I picked up and I ate that lie. Then the devil offered me the idolatry of worldly success and the praise of others, and he covered it in the lie that it was good to climb over the backs of my friends and my coworkers so long as it meant getting to the top, and that lie I ate the most. And finally, he offered me the lie that I didn't need to worry about my soul because I had responded to an altar call and said a brief prayer and been baptized back when I was nine, that ongoing repentance wasn't necessary, that I could live my life however I wanted to because my ticket to heaven was punched. And so for 35 years, as I had walked down the path of my life, picking up the devil's shiny, polished garbage and eating it. And I stood there at this fork in the road, spiritually sick and rotting from the inside out. And that's when I met Jesus. And He changed everything. Some friends invited my family to a Nazarene church, and I began hearing messages about true repentance, redeeming faith, holiness, and entire sanctification. I began hearing messages about having a heart that's fully surrendered to God. Messages of God's command for us as Christians to be holy because He is holy. I began hearing about Jesus Christ, the chain breaker and the sin crusher. And I began hearing about Holy Spirit power and living a life free 
from willful sin. And I had been in and out of church my entire life, but I had never heard the Word of God preached like this before. And as I stood there at this fork in the road, my heart was opened in a new and powerful way. It was almost like a hammer started beating against a heart that was made out of rock that had been hardened after so many years of willful sin and rebellion against God. But then the Holy Spirit came and unblinded my eyes and He ravished my heart and He overwhelmed my soul and I got on my knees and I repented of my sins and asked Jesus to forgive me and praise His holy name. He did. And it was in that moment that I stared back down at the two paths in front of me and I made the most important decision that I've ever made in my entire life. I decided to leave that old familiar path that I'd been on for 35 years because I could see with new eyes that it was the wrong one and that it would only lead to death and to destruction for me, for my marriage, and for my family. And I decided to take the other path, the narrow path, the way of the King. I committed in that moment to walk the rest of my life on the path of King Jesus. Thirteen years ago, I consecrated my life to Jesus Christ. He filled me with His Holy Spirit. And I received spiritual authority and power unlike anything that I could have ever imagined. And my message to you today is about that spiritual authority. The spiritual authority that is available to you through Jesus Christ when you take His path and you faithfully walk on it. The spiritual authority that you must understand and take hold of to live victoriously as a Christian, aware of the schemes and the traps of the enemy and rejecting his trash. The spiritual authority that equips you to defend against the enemy's attacks and arms you to advance God's kingdom here on earth under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, I pray, I pray the blood of Jesus Christ over this message today. Holy Spirit, lead and direct every single word I speak and anoint it with your power. I plead your amazing grace to go before me into the ears, minds, and hearts of everyone listening to this message. Apply your Holy Spirit fire to stopped up ears, captive minds, and hardened hearts. Holy Spirit, would you demolish enemy strongholds like a relentless battering ram against the enemy gates? Through your power, Lord Jesus, help me to send the devil running. 
Help me to equip my brothers and my sisters to operate in true authority and Holy Spirit power, all for the glory and the honor of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Amen. I want to tell you about one of my best friends, Matt. He's a third degree judo black belt. I met Matt when we were in first grade, and that's the same year that he started training in judo. And when we were kids, Matt was my secret weapon. <laughs> I was a lot taller than he was, but he was way faster, way stronger, and way more dangerous. And so I never had to worry about anyone messing with me because I would just introduce them to Matt. I have a brother, Brett, who's six years older than me, and when we were teenagers and Matt would come over to the house, Brett used to like to mess with Matt. He'd try to sneak up and see if he could take him. Now, Brett knew better. He just couldn't help himself. And so he'd come in for the surprise attack only to have Matt perceive it at the last second, deflect, pivot, and then throw Brett to the ground. And so Matt and I would laugh, and Brett would limp off, regretting his bad decision. You see, Brett didn't stand a chance against Matt, because Matt is a disciplined, committed judo black belt, and he knew how to operate in the authority and the power that came with that belt. So many people who identify as Christians, have absolutely no clue how to operate in the authority and the power available through Jesus Christ. And if you don't, it's as if you're wearing the judo clothes and the black belt, but it's just a costume. All of the discipline, the muscle memory, the strength and the agility that comes with years of hard training, all of the authority and all of the power are missing. So when the devil comes against you in a sneak attack, you get thrashed. You don't know how to fight. You don't know how to fight. This is why the devil's lies are overrunning so many Christians' lives today. Fear, anxiety, self-doubt, and self-hatred, all devil lies festering like garbage inside of countless Christians. Sexual sin, alcoholism, drugs and eating disorders, garbage lies. Negativity, complaining, critical spirits and disunity, the devil attacks you with these lies and he slams you to the ground because you don't know how to fight. You need to know how to fight. You need to know how to fight. When the devil attacks you, you need to know how to perceive his attack, to recognize that he's attacking you. And when the devil attacks you, you need to know how to defend yourself, how to fight back. When the devil attacks you, he's the one who should end up 
sprawled out on the ground eating his own garbage, not you. But in order to fight and win, you need to first truly understand the spiritual authority available to you through Jesus Christ because it's through that authority that you will gain victory. And you need to understand where that authority comes from. Through the name of Jesus. Through the blood of Jesus. And through the Holy Spirit of Jesus. You cannot fight with weapons you don't know that you have. Today, I want to first help unblind your eyes to this immensely powerful weapon that is available to you to fight back against the devil, your spiritual authority in Jesus Christ. You need to learn how to take hold of your spiritual authority in Jesus and how to operate it every single second of your life. Because the devil likes to attack when you're least expecting it. He likes to attack when your defenses are down. You're on your computer or on your phone, minding your own business, and boom, the devil attacks you with sexual temptation. Or you're talking to a friend at school or at work, and boom, the devil attacks you with jealousy with the temptation to gossip, or with a critical spirit. You're laying in bed, just trying to go to sleep, and boom, he attacks you with shame for a mistake that you made eight years ago. And boom, he assaults you with fear and anxiety about your job or your finances or your children. The devil likes to attack you when you least expect it, when your defenses are down. You need to learn how to live every moment of your life ready for his attack, ready to perceive it, to deflect it, and to throw it to the ground, ready to throw him to the ground. You need to learn how to live every moment of your life as a true Christian judo black belt. Not just wearing the costume outfit while you continue to get thrashed by the devil, but actually fighting back in authority in Jesus and Holy Ghost power and thrashing Him when He comes against you or your family. After 35 years, I was tired of the devil getting the better of me. I was tired of his lies, of his pain, and of his garbage. I'd had enough. If you're tired of believing the devil's lies, I'm talking to you. And if you're tired of eating the devil's garbage, I'm talking to you. If you're done getting pummeled by his attacks, attacking your mind and attacking your relationships and attacking your family, I'm talking to you. Because what I'm sharing with you today is the result of 35 years of experience getting thrashed by the devil 
and now 13 years of experience defeating him and living victoriously under the spiritual authority and power available through Jesus Christ. One of the devil's greatest strategies is convincing people that he doesn't even exist. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You've all seen the clip where the lion is lurking in the grass, saliva's dripping from his mouth, watching the gazelle with hunger in his belly. That lion is trying every trick every strategy he has to stay hidden as he sneaks up because he wants to destroy that gazelle. And the lion knows that if the gazelle sees him and realizes what he's up to, that she'll be off and he'll miss his opportunity. The devil operates on a spiritual plane. He's not visible. You can't touch him, but that doesn't make him any less real. So many people are only focused on what they can see and what they can touch that they completely ignore the invisible spiritual realities that are happening all around them. The Bible says that the devil is prowling around like a lion looking for someone to devour. He doesn't want you to see Him. He doesn't want you to even believe He's real. He just wants to destroy you. John chapter 10, verse 10 says that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he spent centuries attacking and destroying people from the shadows. He lurks, and when you're not expecting it, he pounces, and that's what he wants to do to you. And if you've not been operating in the spiritual authority and power available to you through Jesus Christ, that's what he has been doing to you. He's been attacking you, lying to you, deceiving you, destroying you, tearing apart your relationships and your family. For some of you, he's been filling your mind with fear, anxiety, depression, self-doubt, and even self-hatred. In America today, there are 130 suicides every day. Where do you think suicidal thoughts come from? For some of you, he's been filling your mind with lust and all kinds of sexual perversions and immorality. Our children are now being exposed to pornography at a younger and younger age. Many of them now consume pornography every single day on their smartphone. And our culture celebrates sexual sin and calls it good. Blue's Clues, 
a show on Nickelodeon Junior that's aimed at three to five-year-old children recently featured an episode with a gay pride parade and a song for children to learn celebrating transsexualism. Where do you think this comes from? For some of you, the devil has been filling your mind with anger and jealousy, with bitterness and resentment. The devil wants you to hate other people and to convince you that they are your real enemy, not him. And he has tremendous success with this strategy, working to bring people's anger and rage to a boiling point. And our country has watched in horror as deranged killers have committed murder in our streets, in our schools, in our places of business, and even in our churches. Where do you think this violent rage comes from? And for some of you, the devil has filled your heart with pride and self-righteousness. And he's inflated your ego like a giant hot air balloon. Your heart is as ice cold as a Pharisee's and you're just as blind as they were. And today your pride is destroying your marriage, your family, and your friendships, and you're too proud to admit that the problem is inside of you. And to all of this, I say, enough. 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 It's time to expose the devil for who he is and what he's up to. It's time to cast off all the chains that he's wrapped around you and to take back everything that he's stolen from you. You don't have to take his abuse. You don't have to get sucker punched and then stumble around wondering why life is unfair. You don't have to keep letting the enemy rip you and your family to shreds and then slink back into the shadows. Today, I am shining a giant holy spotlight on your enemy, the devil. And I am letting you clearly know who he is and what he's up to. He's the father of lies, the destroyer of souls, the sworn enemy of God, and he wants you dead. But I have good news. I have good news. I have good news. Praise be to God. There is a greater power, a higher power than our enemy. The mighty champion of heaven, the Lion of Judah. And His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of heaven's armies, riding on a white horse and crowned with many crowns. He has a name written on His robe and on His thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no authority higher than Jesus. There is no power greater than Jesus. He is the highest. And at His name, 
Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. Ephesians 1.21 says that Jesus sits far above every ruler and authority, power, and dominion above every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And 1 Peter chapter 3.22 says that Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is the, He is at the right hand of God the Father with the angels, authorities, and powers subject to Him. Jesus Christ has all authority. He has all authority. But not only does He have all authority, He has also the right and the power to bestow authority, to give it to me and to you. And praise be to God, He has given us that authority. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, summoning the twelve, He gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Then He sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Luke chapter 10, verses 18 and 19, He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. Revelation chapter 2, verse 26, to the one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. Jesus Christ has given us spiritual authority. You need to understand your spiritual authority in Christ. Like I was for 35 years, many of you are blind to the true spiritual authority and power available to you through Jesus Christ. You're not operating in your authority because you don't even realize that you have it. It's a weapon that God has given you to fight, but you're not using it. But before you can take hold of this authority and operate in it, you first have to understand what it is and where it came from. The reality and the truth of your spiritual authority has to sink in deep up here and in here before you can truly operate in your authority with power and use it to defeat your enemy, the devil, when he comes against you. And so this morning, I'm going to share with you three sources of your spiritual authority in Jesus Christ. The first source of our spiritual authority is the name of Jesus. It's His name. When the angel Gabriel appeared before Mary and visited Joseph in a dream, he declared to them both, that this child's name would be Jesus. It wasn't a suggestion. It was a statement of fact. 
this child will be named Jesus. And the reason for the name Jesus is because he will save his people from their sins. Because Jesus means Savior. And in its Hebrew form, Yeshua, the meaning goes even deeper, the Lord of salvation. The salvation through Jesus Christ isn't halfway or of this world. It's not a, a, a cheap salvation. Like saving me from a temporary problem, a, a bully at school or a difficult boss at work. The salvation from Jesus Christ is a permanent, eternal salvation. Jesus saves in a way that no one else can and no one else ever will. Jesus saves us from our sins. Jesus alone saves us from our sins. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And so we know that God the Father gave Jesus the Son His name. And contained in that name is immeasurable authority and power. Philippians 2.9-11 For this reason God highly exalted Him and gave Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name of Jesus Christ stands high and exalted above every other name. Anything that you can name, the name of Jesus stands above that name. The name of Jesus is above depression. The name of Jesus is above addiction. The name of Jesus is above fear and anxiety. The name of Jesus is above divorce. The name of Jesus is the name above all names. And the first source of your spiritual authority is the name of Jesus Christ. The second source of our spiritual authority is the blood of Jesus. It's His blood. The blood of Jesus is the most rare, most precious, most valuable substance that has ever existed. Jesus was fully man. And like any man, His heart and His veins and His arteries were full of His blood. But Jesus was and is also fully God. John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And so the blood that flowed through Jesus's veins is not your everyday normal blood like I have or like you have. The blood of Jesus is divine, holy blood miraculously forming in Him when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. Every other molecule of blood in every other living thing contains the corruption of sin. But the blood of Jesus Christ contains no such thing. It is perfectly pure, perfectly free from all sin, perfectly holy. And the blood of Jesus Christ is is at the very center of our salvation. Ever since the fall of man, the forgiveness of sins has always required blood. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And it is through the blood of Jesus that we are saved. Revelation 1.5 says that Jesus loves us and has set us free from our sins by His blood. The love of God is not a love that overlooks sin. It's a love that delivers us from sin. But the sad state of the human heart is that it desires the benefits of God's love while also clinging to our sin. We want forgiveness and we want blessing without repentance. And when God won't give it to us, we say He's not a loving God. But our holy God is love. And it's a love so pure that it will not overlook or tolerate sin. But with genuine repentance in your heart and through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, God's love will deliver you from sin. When you have truly repented of your sins and you've given your life fully to Jesus Christ, You will be washed by His blood and filled with His Holy Spirit. And then you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. You have the power to live victoriously in Jesus and for Jesus free from willful sin. That's the power of the blood of Jesus. That's the power of God's holy love. It's a love that delivers us from sin not a love that overlooks sin. And it's rooted in the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 John 1.7, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ contains infinite power and limitless authority. If you went to church eight hours a day and you read your Bible eight hours a day and you prayed the other eight hours a day, 
you still would have no power without the blood of Jesus Christ. You would have no spiritual authority without the blood of Jesus applied to your life. But with the applied blood of Jesus Christ in your life, you have both the power and the authority to defeat the enemy. Revelation 12 verse 11 says they conquered the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They conquered him. They conquered him. Who did they conquer? The devil. How did they conquer him? By the blood of the lamb. They conquered the devil by the blood of the lamb. The second source of your spiritual authority is the blood of Jesus. It's his blood. And the third source of your spiritual authority is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. For the first 35 years of my life, I knew of God the Father. And I knew of Jesus the Son. But I never had a true personal relationship with either one of them because the indwelling presence of their Holy Spirit was not inside of me. I was filled with pride and sin, not the Holy Spirit. But once I truly encountered Jesus and I fully repented of my sins and I yielded my life to Him, He did for me exactly what He said He would do. He washed me clean of my sins and He sent His Holy Spirit to come and live inside of me. He made me a new creation in Christ filled with His Holy Spirit. And if I had a thousand years to try to explain to you the difference that the Holy Spirit has made in my life, I could not do it. All I can tell you is is that I know who I used to be. And I know who I am today. And who I am today is completely different than who I used to be. And the one thing that's different is the Holy Spirit of Christ lives inside of me. In His final days on earth, Jesus told His disciples that it was better that He go back to be with the Father because then He would send His Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, He will lead us into all truth. He will guide us into all truth. This means when the Holy Spirit is fully alive inside of you, you have the eyes of Christ. You can clearly see the lies of the enemy from a mile away. You have the authority through the Holy Spirit in you to discern what is true and what is false. The devil is like an evil fisherman. And he dangles seductive bait hoping that you'll bite. 
And for 35 years, I bit. And the devil had his hooks in me in so many ways. But when I truly repented of my sins and I gave my life and my heart fully to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came and removed the devil's hooks one by one by one. I was redeemed. I was restored and I was renewed in the image of Christ. And He gave me the power through His Holy Spirit to see as He sees and to do as He has taught me to do. And greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. When the Holy Spirit is fully alive and in charge of you, you will have an anointing that is difficult to describe. It's a supernatural presence, Holy Spirit power. And when you're around someone that has it, you can feel it. When you get close to a high voltage electrical power line, you can feel the power crackling off of it. And I have always felt the same when I get close to a, a highly anointed, Spirit-filled Christian. You can feel the Holy Spirit power crackling off of them. That presence and that anointing of the Holy Spirit is palpable. And it gives you authority in Christ. The third source of your spiritual authority is the Holy Spirit. These are the three sources of your spiritual authority in Christ. The name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of Jesus. You have to understand the spiritual authority available to you in Christ and where it comes from. Because until you understand it, you can never take it up and actually use it. But once you understand the authority that you have, you can get serious about actually using it. That is when you can boldly wield the weapons of war against your spiritual enemy. That's when you can slash the devil and his demons with your sword of the Spirit and make the hounds of hell turn tail and run. I want to tell you a personal story. It's a story about the reality of spiritual warfare and how the enemy likes to attack when you're least expecting it and how you can achieve victory when you operate in the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. My wife, Sonia, and I have two children. Our daughter, Embry, is 13. She's in eighth grade. And our son, Callan, is 10. He's in fifth grade. And earlier this year, we attended an evening church service at our home church in Lynchburg. Sonia and I drove separately, and Embry was riding with her in her car, and Callan was riding with me in my truck. 
and Callan and I were about three minutes behind Sony and Embry getting home. And when I turned into the neighborhood, Sony called me and I picked up the phone and I heard my daughter, Embry, sobbing uncontrollably over the phone. And Sony said, whatever you do, please make Callan close his eyes when you pull into our driveway. I didn't know what was happening, but I knew that it wasn't good. And as I pulled into our driveway, I saw something that I've, I've never seen before and I hope to never see again. A dead deer was impaled on our metal picket fence oh. right next to our driveway, right next to the passenger side of Sony's car where Embry was sitting. Embry had a front row seat to witness something horrible and gruesome. And over the next two nights, Embry was attacked with violent nightmares, dreams where I was killed and Sony was killed. And I've experienced plenty of spiritual warfare in my life. Sometimes when the enemy comes against you with the fiery dart, you just let it bounce off your armor and fall to the ground. But sometimes the devil fights dirty. Like when he comes against your teenage daughter in such a blatant evil attack. And when that happens, you roll up your sleeves, put on your spiritual knuck brass knuckles, and fight back. We called a family meeting. And we told our kids clearly what was happening and who was behind it. We read out loud Psalm 91, 2 Timothy 1, Isaiah 43, and many other important verses as we pushed back and rebuked the enemy in spoken scripture and family prayer in the name of Jesus and through the power of the blood of Jesus. And after the kids went to bed, Sony and I had another time of fervent prayer and rebuking the enemy with Scripture. We played worship music and spoken Scriptures in our house all night. And we repeated this for the next several nights, filling our house with praise, worship, and the Word of God as we slept. We actively used our authority and the weapons that God has given us to fight, to fight back against the enemy. Because he had no right to come against and attack our daughter. His attempt to fill her heart with fear was a blatant attack, and it would not stand. It would be defeated in Jesus' name. Because our home is a holy spiritual refuge for our family. It is protected by the blood of Jesus from the top of the roof to the bottom of the foundation. The doorframe of every room is anointed in oil. No weapon formed against me or my family will prosper. And this weapon of fear formed against our daughter, did not prosper. It was defeated in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I share this story not to shock you, but to impress upon you the reality that we have an enemy and we're in a battle. But as a Christian, you are not helpless in this battle. Quite the opposite. You are empowered, you are equipped, and you are commanded by God to fight back in authority and power when the enemy comes against you. James 4.7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Jesus Christ has already done everything required for his followers to live victorious, holy lives using their God-given authority and power. He's already done everything required. 2 Peter 1.3 says his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and, godly, and goodness. Jesus has also already given us authority over all the power of the enemy, as he clearly tells us in Luke 10, 19. And so all of the necessary work has already been accomplished by Jesus Christ. And all of the resulting spiritual authority and power is available today to anyone who will receive it. Spiritual authority is a possession that you can have. But in order to realize its benefits, you must wield it in power. Like a sword, you have to know that you have it. And you have to know how to use it. Because the enemy does not fear or respect a sword in the hands of a butterfingered, bumbling, pants-wetting soldier. But he will respect it in the hands of a courageous soldier, fully dressed in armor, wielding the sword in authority and power. If you're not operating in your full spiritual authority in Christ, you will walk through the battlefield of life without armor, without a sword, and without power, you're as good as dead. The enemy will continue to shoot his fiery darts at you and your family, and you'll be powerless to stop them. Understanding your spiritual authority is an essential beginning, but it's not enough. You must also take hold of and use your spiritual authority. And this morning, I'll share with you four essential elements of how to take hold of and use your spiritual authority in Jesus Christ. The first essential element of taking hold of and using your spiritual authority is repentance. Repentance. Repentance is the first word in Christianity. The first word. 
And I mean that very literally. When John the Baptist began preaching in the wilderness, heralding the arrival of Jesus, the first word he spoke was repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near, Matthew 3, 2. And when Jesus began his public ministry, the first recorded word he preached, repent, Matthew 4.17, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And when Peter emerged from the upper room filled with the Holy Spirit, he preached to the gathered crowds and he said, repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ, Acts 2.38. And so repentance is the first word in Christianity actually taking hold of your spiritual authority in Christ cannot happen unless you have first truly repented of all known sin in your life. Let me put that another way. You cannot and will not ever gain access to your spiritual authority in Christ while you still have unconfessed, unrepentant areas of willful sin in your life. Asking God for authority and power while you're still living in sin is both pointless and offensive. When you sin, your parents may not see you. Your husband or your wife may not see you. But God sees you. He may not stop you, but He definitely sees you. And your parents, your husband, your wife will ultimately see you because sin never stays hidden. And the longer you try, the worse it gets. And so allowing even one area of known willful sin to remain in your life means that you do not truly fear God. Or it means that you enjoy the pleasures and the satisfaction of that sin more than you fear God. And what a dangerous place to be when you no longer have true trembling fear at the God of the universe, the God who created you, and the God who sustains your every single breath. How can you think that you'll be able to take hold of and use the spiritual authority of Christ the Son when you are in active rebellion against God the Father? When you lose the fear of God, destruction and despair await you, not authority and power. There are many Christians who wave the banner of Christ, but who stubbornly refuse to deal with specific areas of sin in your life. Don't tell me that you are a Christian if you are in open, willful rebellion against Christ. 
And just let me stop and remind you of some of the things that the Bible clearly calls sin. Unforgiveness. Disunity. Having a critical spirit. Jealousy. Bitterness. Anger. Selfishness. Gossip. Greed. And fear. Yes, even fear. If you have any of these sins in your life or any other sin, not only will you never operate in your true spiritual authority and power, but you will also live your entire life as an easy target for the devil's beatings. So long as you cling to your sin, what is stopping the devil from attacking you and attacking your family every single day for the rest of your life? Active sin is an open doorway for the enemy to come against you. But if you're wrapped up in the devil's chains, let me plead with you. I know the cold and the oppressive weight of those chains. They got wrapped around me when I was very young. And I lived with them crushing me for nearly 30 years. And I know the heartache. I know the shame. I know the sense of helplessness and defeat. But I also know that no matter how heavy your chains and no matter how tightly the devil has them wrapped around you, that Jesus Christ can break those chains and set you free. And I stand before here today and testify to the truth of that statement because it happened to me. And when you truly repent of your sins and you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you're washed in His blood. Whatever sin had your number, the blood of Jesus gives you the power to never commit that sin again. Whatever your sin, if you truly repent and lay it down today, the power is available to you today to never pick it back up again. Don't let this moment pass without dealing with unconfessed, unrepentant sin in your life. Jesus wants to forgive you and wash you completely clean with His blood. And it doesn't matter how dirty you are. His blood washes all of it. All of it. When He says you're clean, you're clean. The blood of Jesus makes you a new creation in Christ. And it is absolutely necessary before you can take hold of and use your spiritual authority. The first essential element of taking hold of and using your spiritual authority is repentance. Repentance. And the second essential element of taking hold of and using your spiritual authority is full surrender. Full surrender. 
to live in true spiritual authority and power, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit of Christ. There is no exception, no shortcut, no Holy Spirit, no authority, no authority, no power. And before God will fill your heart with his Holy Spirit, you must fully surrender your life to Jesus. Your entire life needs to be defined by full surrender and obedience to the word of God and Jesus Christ. Because in the kingdom of God, Holy Spirit power requires full surrender. Yet far too many Christians continue to walk down the path of life where you believe in Jesus, but you are definitely not fully surrendered to him. You're not surrendered in your relationships. You're not surrendered in your personal finances. You're not surrendered in the way you manage your time. And you're not surrendered in what you do when you think no one else sees you. And the result is that you believe in Jesus and you have received the initial gift of his Holy Spirit, but you are not filled with his Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit filling your heart, you will never be able to take hold of and use the full spiritual authority and power available to you in Jesus Christ. At some level, people make a clear and an informed decision to continue to live without being fully surrendered to Christ, to continue to choose to stop short of what the Bible commands or to run through a stop sign that the Bible puts up, to continue to live as a cultural Christian, but holding back from the radical embrace of true biblical Christianity where everything in your life is surrendered to Jesus and revolves around Jesus. And one reason is that cultural Christians have grown accustomed to living without true Holy Spirit power in their lives. You're used to lukewarm, powerless faith. And you're also used you're used to and numb from all of the beatings that the devil successfully applies in your life. And you just as soon stay where you are because you don't know any different. And your lukewarm Christianity allows you to fit into the culture. But our Western culture has slowly redefined what normal Christianity is. It's a Christianity that looks less and less biblical. It's self-centered, lukewarm, and powerless. And far too many churches have begun to tolerate or even celebrate sin, especially sexual sin, in the name of compassion. And that is not true compassion at all. As a true follower of Jesus Christ, you have both an opportunity and a responsibility to help redefine what normal Christianity and a spirit-filled, on-fire Christian looks like, sounds like, and acts like. Who cares if the world thinks you're a nut job? I guarantee you people that listen to my message that I'm preaching today will think I'm a nut job. I just don't care. 
It's a constant internal struggle, but you have to daily die to caring about what the world thinks about you. And you need to care greatly about whether you are obeying and honoring and glorifying Christ every single moment. You must love Christ more than you love the world. You must not doubt the Bible that perhaps somehow it is wrong and the culture is somehow right. You must not apologize for the Bible because to do that is a direct offense to God. You must believe the Bible affirming that it is the direct revelation of God containing everything that you need to know about God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. You must trust the Bible, yielding your life and yielding your will to the truth that it contains. You must fully be on the side of Jesus Christ. You cannot, you cannot stay on the fence because the fence belongs to the devil. I heard a story about an atheist who went to sleep and had a vivid dream. And in that dream, he's standing in this field with thousands of people in the field and this enormous fence running along the middle. And on the one side of the fence, there's thousands of people and he sees the devil. But it doesn't look like the devil. He doesn't have a tail and a pitchfork because the devil doesn't look like that. And on the other side of the fence, there's thousands of people and he sees Jesus and he recognizes him from the pictures he had seen as a young boy in Sunday school. And so there he is all alone with this giant fence running in this field and he gets up on the fence and starts walking down the fence. All of a sudden, the devil jumps up on the fence and says, aha, there you are. I was looking for you. And the man says, whoa, wait a second, wait a second. I didn't pick him, but I definitely didn't pick you either. And the devil said, yes, you did. You're on the fence. The fence belongs to me. The fence belongs to the devil. The second essential element of taking hold of and using your spiritual authority in Christ is full surrender. Full surrender. The third essential element of taking hold of and using your spiritual authority is to put on the armor of God. Put on the armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17 says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist and righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. 
in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Apostle Paul, who wrote these words, was frequently imprisoned because he would not stop telling people about Jesus. And prisoners like Paul were guarded in their cells by Roman soldiers. Often the soldiers were literally chained to the prisoners to help ensure the prisoners didn't escape. And so Paul had years to closely examine every piece of equipment that a Roman soldier wore. Each soldier wore a belt, and it was possibly the most crucial piece of armor that they had. It went around his waist, and it held all of his other equipment together. The soldier's clothes were tucked into his belt and gave him the freedom of movement to fight. The sword was hooked into his belt. The shield rested on a clip on his belt. And without the belt firmly in place, everything else would flail around and eventually fall off. Each soldier also wore a heavy bronze breastplate covering his chest and his stomach. A Roman soldier would often end up in hand-to-hand combat with one another. They would grab each other's left forearms and with the right hand, they would stab each other in the breastplate looking for an opening or trying to make an opening and the first person who did won. And so before they went into battle, every soldier was extremely careful to make sure that his breastplate was firmly secure and firmly strong. A Roman soldier also wore heavy leather and bronze boots that covered his feet ankles and legs all the way up to the knee. A common tactic in warfare was the enemy would come up and try to kick you in the shin with his heavy boot and break your leg. And if he succeeded, you went down and he had you dead to rights. The the Roman soldier's boots would protect you from that type of attack. These boots also had one-inch metal spikes hammered through the bottom because the battlefields the soldiers fought on were a muddy mess and these spikes gave the soldier the ability to dig in and to firmly stand his ground during the fight. The Roman soldier also carried a massive shield. It was made from wood, but it was covered in leather. And the soldier knew that it was critical that he stay behind his shield to protect him from all of the flaming arrows that were shot at him. These flaming arrows were often dipped in tar and lit on fire and hundreds would be shot at them during a battle. Roman soldiers also wore a heavy iron or bronze helmet because their heads had to be protected. The weapons of war were very dangerous and the heads of the soldiers were a common target. One blow to the head and they could be killed. And so they always wore their helmet. And a Roman soldier wouldn't even think about going into battle without each and every piece of his armor fully on and fully secure. And when they weren't fighting, 
They were tending to their armor. They would oil the leather on the shield so it wouldn't get brittle and crack. Or they would soak the shield in water to help put out the arrows when they hit it. Or they would tend to their breastplate to find any little piece of weakness that they could protect. Or they would sharpen the spikes on their boots so they wouldn't slip. As a Christian, if you are to take hold of and operate in your spiritual authority in Jesus Christ, you must have every single piece of the spiritual armor that God has made available to you fully on, well-maintained, and fully secure. You must wear the belt of truth. God's truth as revealed in the Holy Bible. Not the world's truth, which is constantly changing, but God's truth, which never changes. The U.S. Treasury employs counterfeit currency experts, but they spend very little time actually examining counterfeit currency. Instead, they are trained to be so incredibly familiar with real U.S. currency that anything that differs, even a little bit, will immediately be recognized. And the same must be true for your familiarity with God's truth found in the Bible. You have to know it deep. You have to know it up here. And you have to know it in here. So that, that if you do, and the devil lies to you, and the world lies to you, you'll recognize that it's not true that it's a lie. Like, like a belt clings tightly around your waist, you have to cling tightly to the truth because the enemy and the world will do their very best to rip it out of your grasp. You must wear the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness means that you are in right standing with God. And that happens once you've truly repented of your sins, placed your full faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and have been washed clean by His blood. And when you've done that, it's as if the filthy, dirty rags that you were wearing are taken from you. And instead, you are given a glorious white robe fit for a king. God sees you clothed in the beauty of Jesus Christ. That's righteousness. And when you have firmly put on your breastplate of righteousness, you can be confident and you can be courageous that no matter what attack comes your way, you're in right standing with God. The devil can attack your heart with his lies all day long. And you can be confident that they will bounce off your breastplate of righteousness. You must wear your shoes of the gospel of peace. The shoes that Paul describes are not beach sandals. These are heavy leather and bronze boots. As a soldier for Christ, when the enemy in the world does their best to kick you, preferably when you're down, the shoes of the gospel of peace will protect you. 
And as a Christian, the winds and the storms and the pressures of an increasingly hostile culture to Christianity will test the firmness of your footing. The opinions of our culture, what's acceptable and what's not, are constantly changing. You can't even define what they are today. And even if you could, wait five minutes and they'll be different. You must have on your spiked shoes so that you can dig in your foothold into the only true bedrock that exists, Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Have you ever tried to stand in the middle of a flowing river? It's very difficult. The current wants to pick you up and take you with it. And trying to walk upstream is even harder. Our culture is like a raging river, and it's rapidly flowing in the opposite direction of God's truth. You must dig in with your spiked shoes, standing strong in the power of Christ and press upstream. Christians who are not operating in their full spiritual authority and power, equipped with the spiked shoes of the gospel of peace, will simply be picked up and carried off in the current of the culture, which flows away from the kingdom of God. You must take up your shield of faith. The enemy loves to shoot his flaming arrows at you. But when he does, take up your shield of faith in God and in his mighty promises and block the arrows. When the enemy shoots an arrow of fear and anxiety, you block it with your faith in God's goodness and in his provision. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And when the enemy shoots an arrow of sexual temptation against you, block it with your faith in God's promises. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And when the enemy shoots an arrow of anger and of bitterness and tries to get you to unforgive someone that you've already forgiven, block it with your faith in Jesus' command from Matthew 6, verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins your Father will not forgive your sins. Your faith is the substance of your shield. And so you have to work hard to increase your faith through the daily study of God's Word and through active fellowship and in-person gathering like this of your community of faith. Increase your faith by filling your ears and your lips with worship and with praise. Increase your faith 
by praying to God, both by yourself and with others. This is how your shield of faith gets bigger and stronger. You must put on your helmet of salvation and more specifically, the assurance of your salvation. It will protect your mind with the knowledge of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And the confidence that you have in His goodness and in His faithfulness because great, great is His faithfulness. But the enemy likes to attack our minds. He will shoot flaming arrows of fear and doubt and condemnation straight at your mind. He'll attack your mind with treasonous lies about God's goodness, telling you that God doesn't love you anymore or that He's somehow given up on you or that you don't have what it takes. And if you don't have your helmet of salvation fully in place and one of those lies hits your brain, it can be spiritually deadly. But when you're wearing the helmet of salvation, that flaming arrow will just bounce off and hit the ground. The third essential element of taking hold of and using your spiritual authority is to put on the armor of God. The fourth essential element of taking hold of and using your spiritual authority is to take up the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. The Word of God. I've just told you about five pieces of armor that are primarily defensive in nature and help protect you when the enemy attacks. And this last piece is your primary offensive weapon. And it's the way that you fight back and win. It is written. It is written. These three words have the power beyond anything that we can comprehend. It is written. They are the key that unlocks the overwhelming power of Scripture to fight back against the enemy, to resist him and to make him flee. Write these three words down. Seal them on your heart. It is written. When the enemy comes against you with his lies, when he tells you that you don't have what it takes and that you're not good enough, you draw the sword of the Spirit and you strike him. It is written, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, Philippians 4.13. And when the enemy comes against you with condemnation for past sins that you've repented of, and that you've been forgiven of. You strike Him with the sword of the Spirit. It is written, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. And when the enemy shoots a fiery dart of fear and anxiety at you, block it with your shield of faith, and then slash him with the sword of the Spirit. It is written, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, 2 Timothy 1.7. I know that for some of you, the greatest attacks from the enemy 
are not because of anything that you did, but rather something that was done to you. A past hurt or a past pain that's so deep, it has greatly wounded you. And the enemy is coming against you. And he's lying to you that you can never be free from your painful past and that your broken heart can never be healed. And when he does that, stab him with the sword of the Spirit. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, Isaiah 61.1. When Jesus Christ spoke these three words, it is written, and then slashed back with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the devil fled. And it's all laid out in black and white and read in Matthew chapter 4. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes. Speaking the word of God makes the devil flee. The word of God is a sword that you can use to cut down your enemy, the devil. But you cannot wield the sword if you do not know the sword. A weapon becomes truly deadly when it's in the hands of someone who knows how to use it. You must know God's Word if you want it to be a powerful weapon against evil in your hands. You must know God's Word. It needs to get into your soul and into your spirit. And it needs to saturate your mind so that you can recall it and that you can speak it. Then the word of God becomes a sword in your mouth. Like John describes in Revelation 19, a sharp sword coming from your mouth. And it, it is necessary that you actually speak God's word. Yes, think it in your mind, but you must also speak it with your mouth. When you are operating in your full spiritual authority in Christ, there is tremendous supernatural power in the spoken word of God coming from your mouth. The enemy can come against you and he can make you doubt that true spiritual authority and power are even available to you. He can make you doubt, but most of the time he just makes you distracted. He knows that the word of God is true and he will do everything in his power to keep the word of God from entering your mind and penetrating your heart. He'll tell you, you don't need to spend time studying the Bible. You don't need to get up early to have a quiet time with the Lord. You don't need to go to church. That stuff isn't necessary for you. The devil is desperate to keep God's word from your heart. 
because he knows what kind of authority and what kind of power you can wield when your heart is full of the Spirit of God and your mouth is at the ready with the Word of God. The fourth essential element of taking hold of and using your spiritual authority is to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Today, I have done my best to help you understand your spiritual authority in Jesus Christ. And I've done my best to teach you how to take hold of and use your spiritual authority in Jesus Christ. And my strong hope is that from this moment forward, each of you will operate in your authority and your power as a disciple of Jesus Christ and as a warrior for Jesus Christ. That you will be victorious, victorious as you defend against the attacks of your enemy and as you advance the kingdom of God under the lordship of Jesus Christ here on earth as it is in heaven. So how do we respond today? It would be spiritual malpractice for me just to stop and say goodbye and have a good day. And in these final closing moments, I want to help you to take claim, take claim to, and begin to operate in your full spiritual authority in Jesus Christ. I believe that the Holy Spirit has worked powerfully in hearts today. I believe He's brought conviction and He's led some to a place of true repentance. I believe some of you are ready to tear down strongholds that have been on you for a long time and are ready to break chains and cast off chains that have been wrapped around you for far too long. Chains of addiction and sin, chains of fear and anxiety, chains of anger and chains of forgiveness, unforgiveness, chains of holding on to a critical spirit. And in faith, I want to give you an opportunity to boldly respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart. I want to give you an opportunity to repent, to draw a line in the sand and say, by the power of Jesus Christ, this ends here. And so wherever you are, if you're in this room with me today in this very moment, or somewhere else, months or years from now, listening to my voice, I plead with you as an ambassador of Jesus Christ to humble yourself before Him and repent. Repent. Get on your knees. Confess your sin and repent. Backslider. Stop running from God. Turn back and run to the Father. Humble yourself before Him and repent. You who's been more interested in the current events of the world and in politics and in your retirement account balance than you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Repent. Even if your body 
or your setting doesn't allow you to physically kneel, Jesus is more interested in the inside posture of your heart than in the outside posture of your body. Kneel your heart before Him. (laughs) Confess your sin. And repent. Moments like these are when the devil works his hardest to try to block what God is trying to do in your life. The devil doesn't want you to repent because he knows that if you do, he's lost you. He's worked so hard for so many years to hurt you and to deceive you and to lie to you. And so in moments like this, he'll distract you 